Do you want to go down to a 40-hour week without losing revenue? If you're ready to let go of all the extra hours, the stress, the overwhelm, and the clients who hijack your time, consider my signature program, Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind. In it, we'll get your accounting practice under control. We'll fix your pricing problems. I'll show you ways to price so you stop giving away the farm so you bring in more revenue for the work you're already doing. I'll help you disengage the clients who are good people but are holding your business back and slowing you down. I'll help you package up your services and design them so they're easy for your clients to understand and choose from while helping you simplify and standardize what you sell. And we'll focus on making your messaging more interesting and compelling so you attract more of the kinds of clients you want to work with and break out of the hodgepodge of referrals trap. We get your prices up, we get your workload down. We standardize, we simplify, we streamline. And we do this at a pace that feels doable, where you feel confident in every choice you make. Prices up, workload down. Registration is open now. We start Tuesday, May 7th. Come with us. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to find out more. Welcome to the She Thinks Big podcast, where you'll hear from women entrepreneurs who are doing good in the world, from spark to screw up to success. Thinking big is in their core. It's in yours and it's in mine. I've traveled to 50 countries and seven continents, done an Ironman, and co-founded a company that has generated millions of dollars for sustainability. My name is Geraldine Carter, and I'm delighted to share with you conversations and coaching with amazing women. Time to get inspired and grow your impact. One of my favorite things is when people see a problem, a problem that seems so intractable that it almost is part of the fabric of life, of what I loosely put in air quotes, shit we deal with. Like potholes in the springtime, like robocalls, like a broken system of childcare. And I love when people see a problem like this and they go, huh, I wonder if I could fix that. Well, my guest today, Erica Mackey, did just that. She returned to work with her six-week-old only to find that basic childcare is basically broken. From a parent's standpoint, it's either full, super expensive, low quality, or really far away. And that doesn't work for working families. From a provider standpoint, it's low wage, oftentimes under the table, underappreciated, isolating work. But rather than shrug her shoulders in resignation, she asked herself if she could use business to address these problems. Now, two years in and with 17 employees and 40 educators, My Village is a community of high-quality in-home childcare and preschool programs in Colorado and Montana, with plans to expand nationwide. And Erica is kind of a badass. She co-founded and served as COO of Zola Electric, the world's first massively scalable off-grid electric company, connecting more than 1 million Africans to affordable solar energy. Her ventures have raised more than $250 million from world-class investors, including Tesla, Paul Allen, and others. She was a fellow at the Skoll Center for Social Entrepreneurship, and she has been recognized among Forbes' 30 under 30 social entrepreneurs. She was a delegate for the Academy of Achievement and was awarded the Zaid Future Energy Prize in 2015. 
Please welcome Erica Mackey. Erica, welcome to the She Thinks Big podcast. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. So tell us what your very first experience was as an entrepreneur. As an entrepreneur, the first job that I got paid to do was clean, actually clean windows. Um, And so the racket was charging more for higher windows in the house. So preferential pricing from an early, early age. Uh, So gosh, I must've been probably eight or nine when I first started doing that. But then shortly after that, I became a, I was very into horses, but we uh, weren't fortunate to be able to um, not have to earn money while doing it. So I uh, also gave horseback riding lessons. And that was that for me was an interesting confidence builder alongside the entrepreneurship because um, the only clients were adults, not kids. So I was a, a young teen um, having to sell a, a, basically a riding school when I was <laughs> two adults <laughs> at that oh age. Nice. Some important lessons I bet you got from both of those. Yeah, definitely. So when did you first have the aha moment for My Village? (laughs) So the aha moment was certainly when I landed back in Africa. I'd been uh, working and living in Africa for uh, just over 12 years. I landed back with my six-week-old on the road trying to run a business and be a working mom at the same time. And it was, it was an aha, but it was a, a kind of collection of slow aha moments where it was, wow, this can't be this hard everywhere. This can't be when you don't have a community of, of you know, support network to rely on for recommendations of how to find somebody to, uh, to help care for your, your baby so you can, can work at the same time. And it, it became really clear that um, it was challenging everywhere, not there was no culture that had it, you know, place that had it figured out. And that kind of launched me into a series of conversations with then peers back in the US to have my mind blown of how challenging it was for other family members or, you know, other parents back in the United States. And it turns out, you know, if you don't get on a wait list before you start thinking about conceiving, you can't have affordability, quality, and availability at the same time. And so that, that experience of literally trying to land in a place and call and, and find somebody who I trusted my own baby with, uh, was, was the moment for me. And you were like, this can't be this difficult and found out it is in fact this difficult. Yeah. Like how have I never heard about this before? And it turns out parents don't tell you about parent problems unless you're a parent or you ask them. (laughs) That is true. So I went on the long, the long market research journey of asking parents about, <laughs> about childcare pain and turns out uh, the, the pain is real. Yeah, for sure. The pain is real. So, but how did you get to the idea of like, I mean, you saw the pain and you were experiencing the pain, but how did you, most people don't experience the pain and go, I'm going to start a company that revolutionizes in-home childcare for people, but you did. Yeah. Well, so I had a company that I had been building for a handful of years in Africa in, in the solar space, but I had been living on the continent previous to that working in, in public health. And so I have a long, windy journey, a, a tale for another day of, of how I ended up building the solar company. 
but I had spent a long time with like in homes with families in villages and it, it was incredible how the kids in those village systems always had a safety net. They always had somewhere to go. They always had, um, there was always a plan. And that was one of the biggest moments in, in, I think my conceptual thinking around this challenge was sure there was some quality challenges, but at the same time, this village system where everybody uh, was able to lend a helping hand and there was always somebody to lean on um, was, you know, a big part of my understanding of how uh, close-knit communities worked. And so when I started landing in communities where I didn't, ha you know, landing in places where I didn't have community, uh, there was a stark contrast from what I had experienced uh, in, in, you know, rural African communities to what I experienced in dense urban centers where that connection to your neighbor and that connection to your immediate family was you know, no longer something you could rely on. And that was something that I kept trying to piece together of how can you have the best of both worlds. And then the, the, the third piece was I had spent a lot of time building out a sales network where we had thousands of people across five countries across the continent building out, you know, their sales business where they went from doing to learning how to mentor um, and then learning how to, to train mentors. And that process where I saw people learning a skill from not knowing anything to being able to evolve through being really great at it to training others to do it was something that got me really excited about this is a business model where we could help people figure out how to be a really great educator and then go on to help other educators develop into great educators. Gotcha. So you saw all that happening and then sort of synthesized it with this idea of creating a village locally for childcare and then just put it all together. And you're like, yes, this is it. Yeah. I know, you know, my, my business there was my first baby before I had, I had my human baby and uh, it was a really hard decision to make the change, but the, the momentum and the urgency that I felt was I, it was such a systems level change that we were tr trying to tackle and I knew it was going to take a long time to build. And I felt that if I wanted my kids to experience the benefits of the effort that I was doing, that I needed to get started right away. So tell our listeners a little bit about My Village. Sure. So My Village derives from that parent pain of, of not being able to, to find it all, uh, that affordability, availability, and quality. And we really have leaned into the magic of home-based childcare and preschool and make it easy to start and successfully run a home-based childcare and preschool business. And then we make it incredibly rewarding for families to find and engage with those programs. So kind of like in the same way that a Lyft driver has. Yeah. I mean, so in some ways it very much takes a lot of the lessons from, from shared economy to kind of two-sided marketplace businesses similar to you know, an Uber and a Lyft where they made your vehicle a revenue generating asset, we do a similar effort with someone's home where we can now make your home a revenue generating asset. You can run a business out of your home. And at the same time, a lot of our educators also have children in that zero to five age range so they can spend time with their own kids, become much more 
intentional educators for their own family, but then become a community leader and support their neighbors and, and support their neighbors' uh, children. You know, very similar to my mom did this when I was growing up. I just didn't know what it was called. It was much more informal at that time, but we were always the home where everybody was always over. Um, and, you know, there was always, there was always an extra uh, place at the table for snack. And, and we, we were always supporting all the other working families in our neighborhood. Uh, now it's a way that, that someone like my mom would have been able to become an entrepreneur and start a business and turn their home into a career path. So just for our listeners who are probably new to this and haven't yet been to the website, if you do go to myvillage.com, what you see is available locations, available homes that have openings and that have wait lists and the ones that are coming soon as well, all in the same place, all standardized. So you can look through and see what might be a great fit for you and, and your kiddos. So this is a huge undertaking, right? Like this is not just throw up a landing page on a website. Like it is, you have to have multiple interfaces all talking to each other. And, yeah. and you also have the whole educational aspect of your caregivers, giving them the toolbox that they need to set up their own business. Plus the whole licensing and registration with the state and everything. It's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> on the face of it, it seems like, Oh, wow. So simple. But when you think about it for a few minutes, like there's a lot going on. It's my favorite kind of business. <laughs> the complicated ones. Yeah. So what do you find most challenging? The things that are always, I find the most challenging are the things you can't control. So in a system, we work in two heavily regulated environments for good re One of them for very good reason, which is you know, the you know, childcare industry it should be licensed and it should be regulated and we should know who the, the educators, you know, caregivers are who are with our kids and there should be standards. Um, and each, when we, when you build, when I build a national business looking at really scaling through those regulations, it gets quite complicated because each state treats it slightly differently. Each state has its own view and, and specifications for what quality actually is and then on top of that, we have additional standards that we have all of our educators ad adhere to that make it specifically a My Village experience. Um, and so really wading through that and making all of that complexity as simple as possible is the art, but it's certainly from a starting point, you know, a complicated canvas to work with. The, the piece that's been really interesting for us is to figure out who is our ideal educator. Um, and when we first got started, you know, if you think about somebody who's opening a home-based childcare specific business, the people who you want to be running these businesses are people who are incredibly passionate about, you know, young learners and children. And often that's the case, but you know, there's a, there's a stat across that's nationwide where I think it's three years is the lifespan of, of, average lifespan of these businesses is because because at the end of the day you can be incredibly passionate about kids but you make or break your business by how well you can run the business mm -hmm. and if you think about having to run a business in your home where you're front of the house back of the house marketer chef and then oh by the way having to run a you know amazing childcare for eight to ten hours a day on top of that it's it's very close to impossible. So it's been from our beginning point, it's always been how do we simplify all the things that eat all the time away from 
being able to be present and um, and you know being the best educator you can be. How do we automate your back office? How do we give you and make your accounting systems seamless? How do we save you time on lesson planning? How do we save you time on meal prepping? How do we give you bulk discounts? How do we give you a mentor? So when you're you know encountering these first road bumps in your in your journey as an educator you have a community to reach out to and and ask the four walls often would close in on people in their homes because you are so isolated and that's what we heard when we talked to a lot of educators was you close your doors because you realize you've been subsidizing care for all your neighbors by the time your kids go into school or um you know or you feel just incredibly alone and underappreciated and so that to me, when you ask about the complication, yeah, yeah there's the regulation and the complication, but there's the, the complication of really making sure, A, we get really good at predicting who's going to be a great educator and helping support them as, as best we can. And then really focusing in on making this a viable opportunity for people who never would have taken this path before, not, you know, just making the people who are already doing this business, but making them 10, 15% better. We want to really crack, we're only going to solve this challenge by increasing the, the supply of quality childcare and preschool opportunities. And, and that means going and finding brand new people and helping them along their journey, starting off as a brand new educator. And so that's the piece where it's, you have both the business support, but also the support along their educator journey that um, adds a, a really interesting uh, support mechanism that we need to build out to make sure that we're finding, selecting, and supporting the right people through that journey. Holy cow. That's just amazing. And, you know, you, and they're out there. That's the, that's the incredible part is we're finding it's, 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 and it's people who've had this passion and this journey for, or, you know, this aspiration for a long time, but haven't been able to take that confidence step because they just never thought it was possible for them. Oh, awesome. I love that. And you speak to something that I think so many entrepreneurs experience, which is you need to not just be great at what you do. You also have to be great at running the business end of things. And yeah. it's like having two split careers, right? As you become a better practitioner of whatever and a better business owner. And it's like, holy crap, all of it is so overwhelming and the learning curve is so steep. And it's no surprise to hear that that the churn rate, if you will, is three years. I mean, there's just, especially with little kiddos all day, there's no way you can sneak away and throw, get a few invoices prepared. Exactly. And from a, a system, you know, an ecosystem efficiency perspective, how inefficient is that system where every right. single business is starting for the first time, every time sourcing by themselves, learning how to do it by themselves. And then by the way, shutting their doors just as they get good at what they're doing. Right. And then going off to work in a totally different career, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. totally different sector. Um, so the, like the industry is just, was just screaming for um, efficiency building and supports in a way that really provides a shared service model um, that consolidates the, the really fragmented playing field. Tell us about how you got this whole thing up and off the ground because, I mean, it takes scale in order for it to be viable, right? And yet building at scale isn't free. <laughs> yeah, that's always true. <laughs> it's never, <laughs> never free. 
my experience has been working in very complicated, messy systems that need scale to succeed. And I find that if you focus too heavily on what things cost early on, that you often handicap your ability to scale later, like in the medium and long term, because you're, you're not thinking at scale from the beginning and willing to hmm. overspend in areas where, you know, maybe your unit economics don't work on, on day one, but you can see how they'll get there. Um, and so that is kind of a roundabout of, how, I mean, you can only do that if you have resources. So you've got to get the resources in the door um, to be able to think at scale and spend in a way that you're scrappy, of course, and, and mindful of spending, but spending, knowing you're going to be in, national and international business in the in the foreseeable future so um for us it was you know i quickly i i love to build but i love to build with others and so for me finding um, my business partner was definitely the first step on on the road and uh beth elizabeth smansky is is my co-founder at uh, my village and we had gone to business school together we have a, a long history of always volunteering to work for free on projects <laughs> together. And, and, and so we're pretty well vetted. Um, and she was a, you know, a mom of young children going through a similar experience in Colorado. And so we started brainstorming pretty, pretty early on and knew that this was, this was the thing that we were going to both dive in together with. And so we went out and just did the, before we went and asked for money, we went out and did the market researchers. I mean, we had hundreds of conversations with parents, first parents like us, and then parents across all different income brackets and demographics and geographies, trying to understand, you know, what is the shared, is there shared pain? What does it look like? How, how, does, the, how does the market segment on the parent side? What was interesting is the, the pain points that I mentioned earlier, affordability, availability, and quality, that was pretty consistent. I mean, those were, you can't have it all. Um, and sure, with more resources, you can, you can get you know, some more individualized care and make it more convenient. However, you suffer on quality on that side too. And so what was heartbreaking on the parent side was the more restricted the resources got, the compromises across those three categories became just shocking and make, you know, makes you want to talk about motivation, makes you want to jump into action immediately. Um, so that, that, that was the first thing that we learned was the, the pain was pretty uh, ubiquitous and it was pretty thematic across all different parent brackets. And then the, the next question was, okay, if it's not working for parents, who is it working for? Is it working for somebody? <laughs> right. <laughs> who is it working for? <laughs> and it turns out it wasn't working for the providers either, educators across all the different categories of, you know, we talked to family home, people who ran both, you know, legal and under the radar businesses. We talked to center directors, center employees. We talked to nannies and sitters on the individualized care. And their, their pain was different uh, a bit across the board, but really, you know, people felt that A, like often they couldn't make the money work, B, that they weren't appreciated. They, again, felt incredibly isolated no matter who they were. Um, they felt like there wasn't a career trajectory. So they were willing to take 
less money now if there was you know a direction or, or or a path that they felt like they could move towards from a career perspective or an upward earning trajectory and that didn't exist and so what we went and visited ended up falling in love with family home by visiting just tons of family home businesses where people open up their homes and you know run a, a home-based childcare preschool and they're either six uh, a license for six or 12 kids. And if you have 12, you have an employee working, one or two employees working with you in the business. And the magic that is created when done really well was just mind blowing. It was mixed age groups, you know, zero to five where kids learn from being able to see role models and building empathy for working with younger kids. The uh, relationship between the educator and the family in care was Probably, and, and you know, we've, we've cross-checked this with uh, Harvard Center for Developing Child has some really great resources on their website, and they've been uh, a thought partner with us along the way, um, that some of the best drivers for better outcomes for kids comes from developing responsive relationships between the educator and the child and the, and the parent, and so that trio. And, and so it's as simple, it's, it's not necessarily about a specific curriculum or a specific design layout. It's about how do you um, train and support that, that parent or that educator who is present with that child to be the most responsive guide through what they're experiencing in, in a really nurturing, well thought out environment. And so, um, so yeah, so we, you know, with those small, the continuity of care through the age, age range and the small groups, it was just this perfect, uh, perfect backdrop for us to think about how do we scale something that is um, that can never be standardized. It could never be cookie cutter. You can't make a McDonald's out of someone's living room, kitchen, and backyard. Um, and parents all want slightly different things, but there is some inherent level of quality that make you know makes you feel as a parent that you'd be thrilled to put your child in, and you. You can you feel it, but how do we turn that art into a science um, and and scale that? And so once we nailed in on that family home model uh, and realized how much efficiency we could build into the model and um, how much money and time we could earn and save for educators, we realized that there was definitely a business there. So we put that all down into a PowerPoint presentation, as all good entrepreneurs looking for money <laughs> end up having to do um, and started going around uh, asking and at that point we had self you know self-funded a bit just for conversations and um, starting to to test out some of our ideas see if we could get some of the existing businesses who are running you know educators who are running existing businesses on board with what we were uh, what we were thinking about putting together and uh, we got the PowerPoint presentation we started hitting the ground from Montana looking for cash <laughs> and, and our first year runway basically to test out our product market fit. And we went to go raise uh, 600,000 and I was seven months at the time we kicked off the race, seven months pregnant with my second daughter at the time and ended up closing that round a hundred percent oversubscribed. So we raised 1.2 million Nice and yep, and I went into closed the deal, and I went into labor the next day. <laughs> awesome! The universe has a way of delivering. Sorry, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so that was that was what was you know we had enough people who were willing to give us the opportunity to flesh out our product market fit um we knew that the model you know ring fenced into montana alone there wasn't a population but it was a great sandbox and is a great sandbox where there's you know people of all different uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, you have fast growing towns, you've got rural, you've got really great home-based educators, a really strong sense of family and community um, to build this business and try different things with this business model as we scale. And then, you know, uh, for as unfortunate as the, uh, the legislative session went for early childhood this year in Montana, you know, a very, very supportive governor and, um, and forward thinker in terms of uh, what role that early education can play for the economy. Um, and, and so all of those things made Montana a great test case. And then we also launched in Denver to, have, you know, try a metro demographic to our mix to, to learn from this in the first year of operation. So that was the, yeah, that was the start of it. And we were, uh, we were fortunate to be able to have, yeah, we had networks to rely on, but we also heard a lot of no's too. And so it was just about knowing that we had done our groundwork, that there was a model that would emerge and that we were confident that the market was so big and that w there were people who were, who were thrilled about doing this job if we could just figure out how to make it easy for them. I love it. How many um, in-home childcare providers do you have right now? Um, we've got just uh, about 40 um, between, between Montana and Colorado split. Uh, and we are adding another 100 plus this year. Another so, 100 plus. Wow. Okay. So two and a half times. Yep. It's a big growth year for us. And what are your goals for success? Like how will you know when you will have succeeded? Well, I'll, I'll talk about goals from a kind of vision perspective first, and then, and then we can get into more, more what metrics I'd want, want that to look like. But, you know, ultimately, I want people to be able to move into a neighborhood, a family with young children and move into a neighborhood and look and find that there's a my village on their street and sigh with, with relief. You know, I want, I want that sense that we've got you and you've got this both for families and for educators who are budding entrepreneurs run, you know, starting their business that, that it really starts to feel that we've overcome the sense of isolation in our communities together. Um, and everyone will benefit. You know, you talk about a lot of the challenges that we're facing as a society now and it all stems from what happens to us at these earliest years. It's not only the most cost-effective way to solve so many of these challenges, but it's also the only way to solve, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of these challenges. As long as you can have a longer-term time horizon, um, uh, uh, you can accept a longer-term time horizon, and so we can get there if we are thrilling parent. I mean, parents have to be doing backflips for what we're offering. We particularly picked states like Montana and Colorado to start and left the bubbles of the coast to start trying to make a solution for the average American family. Um, a lot of what we're building also is to plug into 
a lot of the subsidy programs as well that that each state offers a version of an early head start uh, program for families who are struggling and so it's been really important to us to make it as easy as possible for our educators to plug in to make sure that they're extending their services their quality services to families who are really really truly in in need and deserve high quality care um, just as the people who you know can can pay for it uh, I also believe that you know we succeed when educators are the you know there was a big turn in the nursing field where it went from a job where you clean up people's snot and poop to like a job where you are saving people's lives and um, and that the sense of pride that was developed with the profession into the profession that it truly and, and where it deserves to be there. And that is the turn that I want to see for early educators where it's a profession, it's a career. Um, and it's something that people aspire to, to go into direct care, um, with, uh, with a, a really intentional choice, not a fallback plan. And, and so for us, that's, you know, that gets measured in how many, how are we saturating communities and how many educators, what is our conversion rate for, uh, educators that were potential educators we're talking with and how satisfied are our parents? And then ultimately over time we're tracking, are we creating better outcomes for the kids in our care? Um, than, than if they weren't with us. And so that is a square focus for us to make sure that the quality of our programming, which we do through licensing, all of our programs are licensed. All of our programs are on their state's quality rating incentive system in Montana, it's stars and Colorado, it's Colorado shines. Um, all of them have, you know, follow child centered, uh, evidence-based curricula. Um, they all have parent teacher chats where, you know, and all, all of the additional supports along the way to make sure that that child, every child in their care has, um, has a support system that is bigger than, than their immediate family to rely on. And so, so yeah, so for us, it's, it, all of this is for not, if it's not better outcomes for kids. I love that. So needed. So if anything was possible, what would you create with my village? If anything was possible, I would create. Or what would you want to see? Yeah. I, I think a network of incredibly talented and skilled caregivers and educators that are community leaders and inspire children to do the same and, you know, and, and create and instill that sense of confidence that, and, and the skill set to be able to act on that confidence, which means, you know, a sea of entrepreneurs and a sea of budding educators and a, and a sea of uh, capable children who are ready to be the citizens of this country that, that we so deserve. I love it. And last question, if you could ask for one thing from the She Thinks Big community of listeners, what would that be? Reach out, reach out and encourage anybody you know in your network. We all have people in our network who just need a little confidence boost to be able to take the step forward. So if you have somebody who's touched you or your family in a way that you just know that they would be incredible at providing this service to their community, um, 
reach out and encourage them to, to check it out because uh, sometimes it just takes a little nudge for somebody to get over that initial, that initial fear. Awesome. I love that. Erica, thank you so much for coming on the She Thinks Big podcast. Thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure. I am just blown away by what Erica and her team are creating. In the same way that I was blown away the first time I used Lyft and went, oh my goodness, I can't believe how easy it just was to get from A to B. In the same way that I was blown away the first time I saw a square reader in use at a coffee shop instead of a cash register. My village is taking a system that was so archaic and bringing it into the 21st century and solving dozens of problems elegantly in one fell swoop. Thank you, Erica, for your big vision and for coming on the She Thinks Big podcast. Listeners, if you want to know more about My Village, check out myvillage.com. And if you want to connect with Erica, you can find her on LinkedIn at Erica Mackey. You can also find these links in the show notes for this episode at shethinksbig.com forward slash 038. If you know someone who'd enjoy this episode, I hope you'll share it. If you're in the Apple podcast app, go to the three dot ellipse where you can see the share icon. When you share an episode, the person who receives it wins because they get content they like. Erica wins because news of her work spreads. Parents and educators win because their needs get met too. I win because the podcast grows and you win because when you share something of quality, you look good. When you share an episode, we all win. All right, ladies, I hope you're inspired to go tackle big problems in your life and work, and I will see you next week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Registration is open now, but it won't be for long. Go to GeraldineCarter.com now to enroll today.